had kind of a cool thing happen today that hasn't happened to me, I think, since we started the show. I went in to get my phone fixed at the local one of the local phone repair operations. And when I gave the guy my name, he goes, hey, do you have a Chiefs podcast? And I was like, yeah, I do. And he was oh, like, man, I know. He was like, awesome. I love it. I listen to it all the time. And I was like, well, sweet. I'll shout you out. I'm recording tonight. What's your name? And he goes, it's Patrick. I was like, oh, I love you. <laughs> like, it's Patrick, I mean, that's perfect. So shout out to Patrick at the Overland Park uh, phone repair shop for listening to the show. I have never been, I not that I remember at least, approached by someone that said, I listened to your show. I'm a stranger. So that was a, that was a cool, cool little operation. We have had people reach out to us on social media and say, yeah. you know, like you're when we were at the AFC championship game, we had a couple people whom we shouted out on the show mm-hmm. come and say hi to us. But yeah, just somebody recognizing you by your name, name. at Taylor yeah. underscore wit and saying, Hey, I know that guy. You know, it was that's funny. Cool. I was thinking, awesome. I was thinking like, that's two, two aspects of that, that you have isolated yourself from, which is a, your name yeah, and nobody's B, ever your city. Know. Right. So, like, you're never going to run into somebody in Denver that's like, are you real bird lawyer? <laughs> like, that's just not how it works. But uh, yeah. I think I think there's some potential for that, though. We, we've been we need to get this in the works. We've been vibing with some people on Twitter. If you guys have any connections, hook us up. Uh, you know, after our friends at DadBot closed up shop, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're looking for a way to uh, to uh, merchandise. You know, uh, we own 100 percent of the merchandising rights for this podcast. And we're trying to, you know, but I was thinking. You know, that would be the way that somebody would yeah. recognize you. pop me. the shirt on, you walk out there. popping the shirt on. Mm-hmm. And or, you know, like I, I would like the next line of merchandise that we have for this podcast whenever we find the right fit for us to bring uh-huh. that to the masses. I really want to monetize and wear the Elway thread in some capacity. Yeah. Just, yeah. We talked know, about that on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I like the idea of I don't feel like people truly appreciated the joke here but you know like people wanted just the tweet you mm-hmm. know uh john elway is not a a bad quarter was not uh-huh. a good quarterback and <laughs> yeah right and and i can prove it here's proof whatever whatever the tweet is my pin tweet that you've all read and seen i just want a big arrow that's pointing down to the crotchal region Welcome in to It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom. I'm Austin. I'm not going to tell you my last name or where I live, but you can find me on Twitter at Real Bird Lawyer. Hit me up there. Here with me, as always, my co-host, Taylor, at Taylor underscore Wit, the celebrity. How's it going, buddy? You know, the, the people love us, and uh, they love telling us. I got a nice DM from Mark Gunnels at Arrowhead Pride earlier today that said, I love your show. I mean, it's just fun when people, uh, they reach out and they tell you that they like the content that you make. It's always a good feeling. People want us to come in their spaces, and I'm going to be honest with the listeners of this podcast. I've never been in a space on Twitter. Uh, if you guys think that spaces are cool, I don't know, hit us up. Maybe if you, if you want to see us come in a space, I guess if you guys harass us enough, maybe we'll maybe we'll like dip our toes in. I, I don't know. I'm not going to commit to it, but it could be interesting. It could be cool. In the in the year of Zoom calls, and well, I guess the the decade now of zoom calls yeah, and stuff. Sure. it just feels like a group call isn't the most like 
appealing operation. I, I just don't, I don't really get, I guess, why people are into it, but maybe I, since I've never been in it, maybe that's why. Yeah, maybe you just don't get it. We're brought to you by Pigskin Podcast Network at pigskinpodnet. And speaking of the Pigskin Podcast Network, you were a guest this week on somebody else's program. Oh, my guys, the command, this podcast, the Washington Commanders, uh, they wanted to talk Eric Bieniemy, as you would imagine. Uh, so that's Dev and Steve and Phil over at the uh, There Are Pigskin Podcast Network uh, affiliated podcast in Washington. And we had a great time. I don't think I've actually tweeted our YouTube link, which I should have done by now. So uh, go check it out by the time you listen to this. I'll have tweeted the YouTube link of uh, me being on their show. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I have not actually checked that out yet, but I'm excited to uh, to check that out. Here you guys talk ball. You were on there for a long time because yeah. I was waiting to golf with you and, <laughs> you know, I was missing my tee time and yeah. it's all fine. Check out our partners, DraftKings and Underdog Fantasy. We've got a great show for you guys today, but before I get into this week's show, I want to encourage you, if you have not done so, to go back and listen to last week's show with Randy Gisarely from The Ringer. Mm. Amazing. He's our new best friend and special mm-hmm. postseason guest. And we just had an incredible time recapping the Super Bowl and going over just all the good vibes with Randy last week. If you haven't listened to that yet, I highly encourage you to do it while you're there. You know, maybe pop a little like on there if you haven't done so. Subscribe if you haven't subscribed to this podcast <laughs> yet. Leave us a five star review. That helps us out. Celebrates us. That's right. We look. Show outline for today. We're going to talk about news, news, news. We haven't done that in like four weeks because the only, the only news is the Chiefs are Super Bowl champions, baby. Woo! But we're going to talk about some other things going on with the Chiefs that aren't related to us winning the Super Bowl. Woo! Uh, we're going to talk about what is happening, which is great. The NFL Combine is happening. We're going to talk about that in news, 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 actually. But we'll also talk about some things that are going on around the league. We're going to keep talking about the Super Bowl. I mean, we're basically going to be talking about it for at least a year the rest of our lives yeah i mean i i listen to a lot of other chiefs podcasts and i understandably especially the people that are really into the draft they've They've moved moved on on. i mean they moved on they celebrated for a couple of weeks the chiefs themselves have moved on patrick Mahomes is back you know working Working out out. andy reed and brett veacher at the combine you know, scouting prospects. Andy was on TV tonight watching the defensive ends run at the combine. But listen, we are still here to celebrate the Super Bowl. So, you know, if you don't like that, check out somebody else's podcast. We're going to keep running it back. We're going to do our awards. We've been putting this off. But we're going to do our awards, our five-star men, the chief system. And we're going to close this out with a little mailbag plus a question that we asked ourselves because nobody asked it of us. So we asked ourselves anything. We'll do that at the end. Let's get into the. So I mentioned the NFL Combine. It's ongoing. This is, you know, the time of year when uh, guys get in their shorts and they get out and they they do some drills that may or may not be correlated to their success at actual football. But it's Thursday night. We're recording this. A couple of groups have have weighed and tested. But, you know, wide receivers, quarterbacks, the sexy stuff that's not coming until this weekend. We're probably going to come circle back around to this next week and talk about the combine. If there have been any big developments prospect wise, but anything, uh, anything going on with the combine that you wanted to talk about? I realized as I watched um, several of the big defensive ends fly and their 40 yard dashes that I can't watch a big dude run the 40 without worrying that his dick's going to fall out of his shorts. That's yeah. just the Chris yeah. Jones video is. So funny. And first of all, I don't think enough people talk about how hard Chris Jones falls with his dick out 
onto the the surface that he's running on and like slides like it looks like the most painful horrible experience and he just tucks it in and gets up and and, get, and walks away but uh that's what i unfortunately have been thinking as i watch these big lumbering hulks run their 40 yard dashes is i hope everything stays in well you know chris has got a bird that just won't quit so <laughs> he did not quit his bird didn't quit and he's a two-time super bowl champion now uh, let's talk about some coaching changes or, I guess, promotions, some comings and goings. We obviously talked about Eric Bieniemy on our podcast. You talked about it on the Commander's podcast. But Matt Nagy is his replacement, as expected, in Kansas City. He was hired officially as the offense coordinator last week. Business as usual. Any any changes to the offense that you're expecting? Well, this? maybe. Um, I, I think it'll be really interesting once the bullets start flying, um, kind of how the Chiefs lean, run heavy, pass heavy, yeah. screen game, like different stuff that we obviously know the last five years, it's really hard to separate Patrick Mahomes offense from Eric Bieniemy because sure. the last five years it's been both of them. And so with Bieniemy gone, it'll be interesting to see what tendencies the Chiefs had because of him. And maybe if Nags, you know, maybe he doesn't want to rock the boat and he understands kind of the flow that it's been for the last couple of years and wants to stick that way. Or maybe Andy's given him enough leeway that he says, all right, just go out there and run your offense, man. And and I mean, so, yeah, I I don't think we're going to see like a ton of changes as far as types of plays and and, you know, personnel and that type of stuff. But I do think maybe the frequency of different types of plays could change and that could be interesting to watch. Yeah, that's a good observation because I'm sure many of you have read, you know, the Chiefs have a very collaborative approach to the game plan each week. And it's it's obviously Andy calling in the plays and he's a primary play caller and he will be, I'm sure, until the day he retires from the NFL. You know, he's been doing it for 22 years and he's incredible at it. But, you know, the the process that the Chiefs have of getting prepared for game day is very collaborative. They have a, you know, what Andy calls the beautiful mind board mm -hmm. where the coaches are allowed to just go in and kind of write stuff down on the board. And, you know, all of the guys in the organization are collaborating and, you know, sharing ideas in that regard. And so, you know, I'm sure in terms of, you know, unique play designs that are going into the playbook, I'm sure Matt Nagy had just as much right and ability to kind of stick those in the playbook, if they were any good, you know, last year as, as he will in this coming year. But I, I think there may be something to the idea that the Chiefs, you know, the the number of formations, the types of formations that they're running, you know, sort of the run pass mix could be affected by this. I think, you know, the the biggest surprise, I guess, maybe from the Super Bowl, which we're going to talk about again on this episode, was how heavily the Chiefs leaned into the run in the second half. And that's obviously something that Andy Reid hasn't always done or hardly ever done in his career. And we don't really like it when we run the ball because we have the world's greatest quarterback, the greatest quarterback of all time. But Matt Nagy, unlike Eric Bieniemy, is not a former running back. He's a former quarterback. Yeah. You know, he is, he is famously, I can remember a game where he was the bears head coach and primary play call, caller. I think a playoff game where they threw the ball like 37 times and they ran five times. You remember this? I think it was the double doink game. I think it was the double doink game. Uh, so, I mean, I think it could go back to being a little bit more of a pass-heavy offense. And the Chiefs aren't dumb. I, I think I think they found in Pacheco and McKinnon and the guys that they have on the offensive line this year, I think they found an approach that works. I think they realized that, hey, we can run the ball 
and we have the personnel to be able to do it. And we know when it's going to be effective and when we need to do it to truly set up the pass, right? Like when we really actually need to establish the run, but I think their default mode is going to remain very pass heavy when they're in a neutral game situation. I would expect that with Matt Nagy as the coordinator. David Girardi takes over as the quarterback's coach, and the Chiefs did interview as part of this process with Matt Nagy uh, moving up to offense coordinator and David Girardi coming in as QB coach. Pep Hamilton, we talked about that. Mm-hmm. Sounds like there still might be some mutual interest between those two sides, uh, maybe creating a position for him, you know, whether it be a consultant or, you know, a passing game specialist or something like that. NFL coaching staffs these days just add talent, which they should. I mean, they should get the smartest guys in the room. You can absolutely exactly right. But David Girardi takes over as the quarterback's coach. And uh, I learned a little bit about David Girardi this week because he's a guy that's kind of been waiting in the wings a little bit. Uh, He actually worked with Mike Kafka at Northwestern when Kafka was a graduate assistant there. And then basically, just followed a year behind him kind of at each stop. So Kafka came in in 2017 as a quality control coach. And then Girardi came in the year after that in the same role, uh, quality control coach. The year after Kafka kind of moved up to QB coach and pass game analyst, he became the assistant quarterback coach and pass game analyst behind Kafka. So he's kind of been the shadow Kafka for a little while. He played quarterback at Geneva College really small school and was also a quarterback at uh, Lafayette prior to coming to Kansas city. So he's also a, another former quarterback in the room, just like Kafka was just like Nagy is. And, you know, um, I mean, just circling back to the enemy, obviously the enemy, a, a running backs coach, a former NFL running back. It'll be interesting to see what uh, David Girardi brings to things. Yeah, it will. Um, I always like what's really fun about Andy and Pat is that, you know that if something doesn't work, they can lean on themselves and what's has worked, right? Like if, if they get a new voice in the room and that voice maybe isn't necessarily as effective as the last voice in the room, what, what you still have at the end of the day is the best offensive play caller and the best quarterback that the game has ever seen really. And so the other side of that is if the new voice is, is positive and makes any type of development that, you know, makes inroads as far as being more effective as an offense, they're going to use that and they're going to lean into that and it's going to work. So I think that they've already established a baseline floor for the offense. They already know if no one else was involved other than Pat and Andy, they can get stuff done. But then if they bring in new voices and these guys have an idea that Pat and Andy hadn't thought of or a way to approach offense that ends up being successful, I think they can integrate that easily and successfully. That's always been kind of Andy's superpower is, is adaptability and, I mean, this clearly seems like it would be fun for someone else to get the keys to the Chiefs offense, kind of see what they could do with it. I'm excited for it. Something that uh, I was not expecting this week, but I guess we should talk about because everybody's talking about it, are uh, the Chiefs grades, their report card. They got (laughs) a report card this week from the NFL Players Association in which current players, um, I believe all of whom are still with the team that were counted for part of this study. I, I don't quote me on that, but... They took a number of different sort of off-field factors and they asked the players to give the teams letter grades. And the NFLPA, I assume, was some sort of agenda. We'll, we'll talk about that. Published mm-hmm. that this week. And boy, uh, the Chiefs, I think, to me, unexpectedly, came in 29th. I'm just going to give you the grades in each of these categories. So treatment of families, they got a B, which is not bad. That, that 
I mean, that was above average. I, I uh, wondered on that one specifically if the Mahomes had anything to do with the team's perspective of the treatment of the families, just like, I don't know, like if they've backed them enough or if they, I don't know. Like, I just feel like they've been the kind of public eye family um, on the team. And I just didn't know if that B was good or bad compared to where it should have been. Well, I, I think, you know, just looking at the list here, I mean, there's, there's four teams that got graded in the A's and the Chiefs were a B. So, I mean, the only teams that got demonstrably better grades, better letter were the Vikings, the Cowboys, the Bills and the Panthers. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It seems like the Chiefs do cultivate a, a good family environment for the team and take care of their guys. But food service slash nutrition, they got a D plus. Weight room, they got a C plus. Strength coaches, this was their best grade, A minus. Yeah, but uh, look but, up and down the yeah, strength exactly, coach right. grades. Almost everybody's strength coach got an A, A plus, A minus. The Ravens got an F minus. <laughs> reading that right? There's actually yeah. a minus after this yeah. F. So right. basically, unless you're the strength coach for the Falcons, who got a D minus, or the Ravens, who got an a, an F minus, all the strength coaches in the NFL apparently are good. Uh, their training room got a D plus. Their training staff, and this is maybe the one that we'll have to talk about once we get through the grades here, got a D minus, which is shocking. Yeah. Locker room D minus and team travel F. I want to address really quickly the team travel before we circle back to Rick Bolt and the training staff. So one of the things that came out in this is that the Chiefs are one of, I believe, five teams, maybe it was six, in the NFL that still require their young players, and I did not see an actual age cutoff for this, yeah. uh, to have roommates when they're on the road. Yeah. And I get why the players don't like that. Okay? Yeah, like, me too. I, I, I'm, you know, I've been a part of professional organizations where, you know, if the organization has enough money, which all NFL teams obviously do, you could have your own room at the hotel, the team hotel, right? I I strongly suspect, I don't have any insider information on this, I strongly suspect that that is an accountability rule and has nothing at all to do with price or budget or Absolutely. any kind NFL of operations there. Yeah, yes. it's just about, and I, I don't think you could say that about all the teams on this list. I mean, the Colts are on this list. They're pretty famously cheap. They got an yeah. F for travel. You know, yeah. the Commanders got an F minus for travel. I guess we could ask our, our friends over at the command this yeah. podcast what that's all about i'm certain that that is an accountability rule and you know i don't see a huge problem with that i understand why the players don't like it but like okay you don't see a problem with the, the roommates right that's what yeah mean. because yeah, yeah, sure. i think that the chiefs are an organization that has demonstrated that they are willing to take chances on guys but you can't i mean you can't have guys getting in trouble on the road and the chiefs by and large, at least during the season have done a pretty good job of keeping their guys out of trouble during the season. And maybe the off field stuff has kind of reinforced that sure. mentality with the chiefs. Once Absolutely. they get control of these players and they're saying, all right, you guys can screw around in the off season and get yourselves to where we're talking about you constantly instead of our team. But when you're flying with us, when you're staying with our hotel, you you run by our rules. And I know the team gave – the players gave the team an F in the travel. But, like, I mean, I don't know. I That's probably just more them trying to voice their displeasure about the rule. But I don't think it's going anywhere. I think that's – the Chiefs have shown that they can operate the team pretty, you know, pretty well, model organization. And I, 
I'm a little surprised that they finished uh, fourth from the bottom on all these. Well, let's we'll, we'll circle back to that, but let's talk really quickly about the the training staff, which earned yeah. B minus. I'm sure you saw the comments about Rick Bolt Burkholder is that the players don't care for Rick, which is surprising to me because I mean we don't get to hear a whole lot from the athletic training staff. I know they were kind of in the spotlight. Um, the athletic trainers besides Burkholder were kind of in the spotlight, you know, over the past month because they played a huge role in getting, you know, a bunch of walking wounded ready to get back out on the field and win the champ, the chiefs a championship. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it was a little bit surprising to see them rank so low, especially when, in terms of the ability of the Chiefs training staff to get and keep players on the field and performing at a high level, that's obviously not what's being graded here. But no. if that was what was being graded, I don't see how the Chiefs would grade anything other than like a solid A, maybe even an A plus. So I was a little bit surprised by that. I was too. Um, I feel like the attitude that they must have towards Rick and that staff is bad enough that they felt like it was, you know, this is a overall team grade. I don't know how many of them exactly were surveyed, but enough of them to where this wasn't just one or two guys that were pissed off at Rick. Like this is clearly, um, you know, most of those guys got together and we're not happy with many of these categories. I mean, five of the eight categories are D plus or worse on this. And good. I mean, that shows just a lot of guys that were sitting there saying, no, this sucks, this sucks, this sucks. Like, we're a good team. We like each other. We won the Super Bowl. Like, all the chemistry is fine. But, like, the facilities and the team rules and, and some of these things, like, they're clearly not happy with. I think it's really funny to contrast with a team like the Vikings, who don't really win that often. They obviously won this year. But um, I think this was actually taken – after last postseason, if I, I saw that, that's right, but I, I think saw, they only included the grades from players that are still on those teams. Yeah, maybe. that yeah. sounds right. But the Vikings went a a minus a a plus a plus a plus a plus a. So like, I don't think a lot of these teams approached this survey the same way. There's no way that the Vikings situation is that much better than well. The Chiefs in let's talk way. about that too because what's the first thing you think of when you think of players voting? when it comes to the NFL, uh, the NFL top 100, the top 100. And what do we know about the top 100? It's, as institution? it's a farce. Yeah. It's a total farce. Yeah. The guys like vote for themselves. Yeah. Literally for, you'll have guys turning in ballots where they literally, you're, they're supposed to rank 20 players for the top mm -hmm. 100 and they will just write their own name 20 times. Sure. I mean, who knows what the agendas are, right? Like this is not necessarily a scientific no. poll or no. anything approaching it, but Nick Jacobs uh, put out just uh, went through this list and these are where these are the overall rankings for the last eight Super Bowl champions. Chiefs were 29th overall. Rams were 25th. Bucks were 26th. Chiefs again at 29th. Patriots at 14th. Eagles at 14th. Patriots at 24th. Broncos at 20th. I mean, with the exception of the Eagles, who were barely in the top half, all those are bottom half. And a lot of those are bottom five teams yeah. or bottom six teams. So. I, I guess this sort of begs the question, and obviously we have no way to know this for sure, but I, I don't know. Does it matter? Should we be concerned by this? I mean, look at the top five teams. You've got the Vikings, Dolphins, Raiders, Texans, Cowboys. I mean, this is not, you know, this is not an indictment on the teams in the bottom, and it's not really praise for the teams at the top as far as the ability for them to put together a good product on the field. This is just 
some groups of players wanted to voice frustrations and they did it with a different scale in mind than the other players did. Like there's just no way that all these teams were on the same page about what to do with about this survey, how to grade, what an F actually means in like sure, the grand right. scale of, you know, like an F would be like, you know, the plaster on the walls falling down and rat scurrying. I mean, like, you know, there's a big There was actually between... a rat infestation there, in Jacksonville. There, so. there was. That's fair. That's fair. And they should have probably, you know, gotten an F that they deserve. But um, <laughs> they got that... an F for treatment of families. But I don't see an F in any of these other no, categories, which means Jax, the locker yeah. room uh, D minus for a rat infestation. And the Chiefs <laughs> also got a D minus for right. Right. Not having a rat infestation, I I don't know. It's it's hard to judge. Yeah, it's a little wacky. So you know, I'm not gonna put too much. Th- and also, this is the first time we've ever seen it. I don't sure. know if it's right. like there's a... no there's no trends historical no. trends. No, yeah. You know, I I had one other observation to make about this before we move on, and that is, you know, we've been wondering about the Chiefs' ability to close uh, in attracting free agents the last couple of years, and there was a yeah. part that wondered if. The fact that the stadium, I mean, the stadium now, Arrowhead is one of the five oldest stadiums in the NFL. I don't remember off the top of my head where exactly it ranks, but, you know, then the Chiefs practice facility is obviously in the Truman Sports Complex, but not at the stadium. And it's a little bit dated, although they've, they've made some renovations fairly recently within the last couple of years. I There was a part of me that, you know, wondered m- maybe whether this had something to do with the chiefs coming close and then not being able to land their guys the last couple of years. But then Mm -hmm. there was another part of me that wondered if maybe that's not the worst thing in the world, right? Like we've already talked about the results on the field do not match up with the grades in terms of player comfort and what they're being catered to. And if you think about that and you really take a step back from that, this is painting with a very broad brush, but it kind of makes sense, right? Like if you, there are some guys in the league and I'm not besmirching these guys at all. Yeah. Get your money, do what yeah. you want to do. That's right. But there are guys in the league that want to collect a paycheck and have fun. Yep. And Be for those guys, and... having a ping pong table in the locker room, Tyreek, yeah. yeah. is important. Right. Like it's important to be able to hang out with your boys and it's important to mm-hmm. be able to get, you know, uh, you know, chef catered meals, which I'm sure all NFL teams have, but apparently not all chef catered meals are the same. Right. 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 <laughs> but, you know, at the end of the day, the Chiefs are an organization that is about winning and their focus is going to be on having the best on field product that there is. And I'm not saying that it would would necessarily be a negative to have better facilities. Right. And right. And be able to attract guys that are also interested in that. But, man, if that's what these players are making decisions based on miss me with that. I don't want them on the team. I, I don't, I, I agree with you. Um, it actually reminds me a little bit of the Eric B criticism by Shady McCoy, where he was saying that, sure. Like, Absolutely. You know, he was yelling at players, including the superstars in practice. He yelled at Travis Kelsey. Can you believe that? And everyone else was like, dude, you sound like such a snowflake right now. <laughs> just like, you know, I can't believe he would have the, you know, like there, there's just some players that approach this thing a little bit more, you know, touchy than other players and they get their feelings hurt. Now there's other side where the Cardinals who ranked 31st out of 32, they were one of the uh, notes I saw online today about them, about them being unhappy was that the team charges them for meals, like takes Hmm. it out of their team, their, their game checks, their paychecks, Crazy, which like, it just seems tacky. Like that just, you know, none of the other NFL teams have to do that. Like it. And uh, by the way, Arrowhead ranks third in, 
stadiums and oldest stadiums. You've got Soldier Field, which was built in 1924, Jeez. and they're and they're moving. They're they've already got their spot in Chicago picked out for their new stadium, so they're bailing on that. Lambo, which was built in 57, and then Arrowhead Stadium in 1972. So and by the way, the the training room and locker room at Lambeau, B minus B and Chicago right. where the bears on here, the bears uh, training room, B minus locker room, B plus. So they're still better than the chiefs. And those stadiums are significantly older than the chiefs facility. I don't even know where the bears practice because they have a stadium in downtown Chicago, like soldier field is. Yeah. They must just not, have a, it's not like with all the tall buildings, but it's right no. there along the lake. And they must have a practice facility. That's like easier for everybody to get to. I would imagine. Hmm. That's, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's certainly is interesting data, and it was surprising to see the Chiefs rank as low as they did. But as long as the on-field product is good, um, I don't know that it, it matters all that much. Speaking of the on-field product, Chris Jones, monster, beast, mm-hmm. wants to be the second highest paid defensive tackle in the NFL, according to the Athletics' Nate Taylor, which is good because the first highest paid defensive tackle in the NFL is Aaron Donald. And he's making $32 million a year. Freaking Rams. Preposterous. Yeah. In second are Leonard Williams and DeForest Buckner. They are tied at $21 million APY. So Chris, Chris, 28 years old, coming off his best season, irreplaceable. I, I totally understand the argument to be made for trading Chris Jones. But I think the argument almost had more force last year before you traded away Tyreek. And I think you made the decision that, you know, we can we can replace because we have Patrick Mahomes. We can replace what Tyreek is bringing to the team. There's just no way to replace what Chris Jones brings to the table. And I think, you know, for me, just weighing in, cutting to the chase here, I think you pay him. And I think you make him the second highest paid defensive tackle in the NFL because you can't get players like Chris Jones. I mean, hardly ever, but really the only way to acquire them is to draft them. And you can't, you obviously can never guarantee that an amateur player is going to develop into the kind of player that Chris Jones is now guys like Chris Jones. We're going to talk about free agency in a couple of weeks. I've looked at this free agent class. Elite players don't make it to free agency. They just don't. They just never do. If Not you have team elite, smart. Yep. If you have an elite player in the NFL, the the only way you can acquire that guy once he's become an elite talent is by giving up a bunch of draft picks and then paying him a record-setting contract. Right. And the Chiefs already have a guy who, frankly, right now probably deserves to be the highest-paid defensive tackle in the NFL. I think it's very reasonable of him to only ask to be the second-highest yeah. paid, yeah. and I, I think the Chiefs should do it. I completely agree. Uh, there's a couple of factors. Number one, what Chris Jones means to the defense is a is a larger portion than what Tyree Kill meant to the offense because you still had Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. You don't exactly. have the equivalent exactly of those right. guys on defense. Chris Jones right. is a superstar among good players. There, there are many good players on the Chiefs defense. There's no one in his stratosphere as far as no. positional value and game-wrecking talent. I mean, the number of times that Chris Jones literally takes over a game by just destroying the middle of an offensive line and getting the quarterback. You just can't replace it. And, you know, the other thing is when the Chiefs did trade away Tyreek Hill, 
they bought themselves the ability to keep a guy like Chris Jones. Exactly. Especially with the cap going up. They're flush. They're 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 fine. They have, they have picks. They've got cap room. They've got flexible, flexible contracts like Mahomes. You just draft class out of the park and you're probably going to knock another one out of the park. And that gives you so much flexibility to pay a guy like Chris, what he's worth. You know, the chiefs can really do almost whatever they want with the off season for the next quite a while because they're so flexible now and they're clearly showing, I mean, they're winning no matter what they're doing. So don't, when you're out there, don't fret about anything that happens with this front office because they know what the hell they're doing. They've proven it. And I just think that if the chiefs extend Chris Jones, that was the best move. If the chiefs trade Chris Jones, that was the best move. Like whatever they're going to come up with here is the correct answer, but it starts with keeping Chris Jones. In my opinion, I think he is as, as valuable as a defensive player as as there is in the NFL. I mean, he's just unbelievable. Let's talk about the Chiefs doing whatever the hell they want. We'll close out the news with the news that DeAndre Hopkins is on the trading block. That is verified. Now, everybody says that that is true. What we have today to add to that, this is just to generate discussion. It's for entertainment purposes only because it comes from Benjamin Albright, who... <laughs> if you don't know, is not a real NFL insider. Do not listen to him. He does not have any sources. He just tweets and aggregates and then deletes tweets and boosts his own tweets when he gets things right. He reports that the Chiefs are the top suitor for Cardinals wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins, which means it definitely is not happening unless this is one of the shots in the dark that he occasionally gets right and then you know promotes for weeks on end. Right. But we should discuss whether or not it should happen because we are on opposite sides of this debate. And I want you first to tell me why the Chiefs should trade for DeAndre Hopkins. Sure. It is uh it is rare that we're not in lockstep on these types of things. Um I think at the end of the day, my last point about Chris Jones is kind of where my mentality is at with this move too, which is that it's less about if I think they should and more about if they do it, it was correct. That's kind of that's kind of where I approach it. And so I want to see DeAndre Hopkins because I saw him when he had idiots throwing to him in Houston and he was fantastic. And yes, that was several years ago. And yes, he's had his issues and he's 31 and he's had the PED suspension, all that stuff. I heard it all, but the chiefs know all that when they're negotiating their salary with, with DeAndre Hopkins and they're not going to, he's not going to get $30 million a year. He's just not going to now. He's probably going to want to renegotiate his remaining two years, which the chiefs would be on hold for 19 million next year and 14 million the year after and would extend him and probably bump those numbers around and give them some signing bonuses and stuff and do their, do their thing. But the point is the chiefs are not going to overpay for Deandre Hopkins, but what they would do if they acquired him is they would get back a one, a talent at wide receiver allegedly, supposedly, I mean, unless he completely falls off a cliff, which is possible for sure. It's possible, but They've bought themselves so much wiggle room that if they get DeAndre Hopkins in here and he falls off a cliff, you know, so be it. You eat a couple million dollars, you eat a second round draft pick and you move on with your day. But the the risk to me is worth or sorry, the reward is worth the risk. To me. I understand where you're coming from. And there is a part of me that certainly I certainly would be able to talk myself into it. But, sure. The day it happens, you'll be like, fuck, yeah. <laughs> but. There, there are some reservations I have with it. I think the, I think the most compelling argument that I've heard, and uh, shout out to Casey Sordarican, our guy, Kaka, who was uh, 
who was engaging with me about this today on Twitter. But I think really the best argument that can be made for it is that the Chiefs just haven't hit on a wide receiver in a long time. I mean, I hope Sky Moore works out. They brought in Kadarius Toney, who, you know, they are certainly going to try to additionally develop. But, you know, he was drafted by a different team. They signed Juju Smith-Schuster and Marcus Valdez-Scantling. Juju's a free agent. You know, like Tyree Kill is really their, their one big wide receiver hit in the last 15 years. I Can mean, I name the six Wayne wide Bell. receivers they drafted since Tyree Kill? Sure. They went D-Rob in the fourth, Jehu Chesson in the fourth, Traymond Smith in the sixth, McColl in the second, Cornell Powell in the fifth, Sky in the second. Those are the yeah. six guys since Tyreek. Sir, there's nobody, obviously, in DeAndre Hopkins here, which, which to be fair, I mean, he's a, he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, his age is a big concern for me. He's going to be 31 <laughs> in July, I think it is. He's going to yep. be 31 when the season kicks off. And, you know, last year we were having this conversation about Julio Jones. And I was completely on board with getting Julio Jones. I was hoping you wouldn't bring up Julio. Who was actually who's actually two years older than than DeAndre Hopkins this last season. He was 31 this last year in Tampa. The big difference for me between Julio and DeAndre Hopkins is that Julio didn't cost you a second round pick. And he also wasn't going to demand a new contract. Like if if you could if you told me that the Chiefs give up a second round pick and DeAndre Hopkins plays the next two years at 19 and 14 million. I think I do that. Mm-hmm. I just have a lot of concerns that I'm worried about the money and I'm worried about paying more money to a guy who's 31, which again, Julio, when he was 30, 1400 yards, six touchdowns that, you know, he had a streak, six straight seasons where he was above 1400 yards. And he had 1394 in his age 36, mm-hmm. right? And that was in 15 games. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy was an elite, elite, elite player. 31 dropped off. 30, 43 did nothing. And this is a guy who was suspended for PEDs. You always have some reservations about what a guy's going to do when he's no longer using PEDs, whatever it was that he was using. You know, I I think it's I think it's an interesting idea. I think that. I'm sure the Chiefs will do their due diligence on it. And I could see him being, you know, I mean, he basically like his upside, his fit in this offense is sort of like a supercharged Juju. And we saw Juju yeah. be a huge, huge piece of this offense at times. Yeah. But we also saw the offense function perfectly fine without him. Agreed. Because he was basically a non-factor, you know, the last six weeks of the season. Sure. Health, Several weeks of the year, he would completely Health disappear. had some things yeah. to do with that, too. But, you know, I mean, like, he just... The, the offense doesn't necessarily need that guy. And I see a lot of guys comparing him, and you may have been actually one of the guys that I saw doing this, where you, you were referencing what the Chiefs were like with Tyree Kill. Yeah. DeAndre Hopkins just isn't Tyree Kill. I mean, like, he's he is an S-tier wide receiver, or at least he has been throughout his career, but he doesn't he doesn't change the way that the game is played in the way that somebody like Tyreek Hill would. So for me, like I'm, I'm interested in it, but I, I don't know that it would be the best move for the chiefs. I'd talk myself into it if it happens, but I'm kind of leaning against it. If it's for a third, are you pretty much in no matter what? Like, is uh, it the second that yeah, really makes you? I, I think to me, so the, the draft pick compensation and or the money are the things that kind of are okay. deal breakers for me. Like, I, I think if it's a second, plus we have to pay him a significant amount of let's new say, money. Let's say that's he a definite no. 21 million APY. And right now he's at 19 and 14. So you would bump up, 
you know, to 21 and 21, two year, $42 million extension, basically. And how many years, how many years am I on the hook for him? Just no like more extra years, void oh, years, void years again, but two essentially years. Essentially raised on the two years. Yes. Yes. <laughs> for a. I think we could. Could work with that. I mean, it, you know, the point is, I think there's a table if DeAndre wants that. There's a situation where this makes sense. Now, there there's is also, there's, oh, there absolutely for sure a situation where you know I'm way off board if it's a first. Obviously, as everyone sure, listening course. to this yeah, should. Of course. But as you pointed out on Twitter, I mean, Chase Claypool cost the 32nd overall pick, and like, what are the costs that here? Sure. That what these are the teams rules? Are, you know, like if the if the Cardinals are sitting there saying, yeah, he's DeAndre Hopkins, he's an elite, you know, Hall of Fame wide receiver, we'll take nothing less than the first, and the Chiefs are sitting here with a late first and trade him. I mean, I would be I would be sick about that. I think that would be no good at all. But then if you say it's a third, then I'm like, well, hell, it doesn't really matter what the contract is if it's a third. So there's it, there's a lot of wiggle room here between what's going to be crazy cost and what would make a lot of sense. Boy, this is a fun time of the year. I, it's great to come off of a Super Bowl and then get immediately into yes. free agency yes. and potential trades, and it just is, ugh, it gets my juices What's flowing. Also great about that is our season was so long. Like, do you yeah. remember how how long the offseason is before it gets good? Buddy, when you... we, we routinely take breaks after the end of the season, take <laughs> yeah. a week or two off. No yeah. breaks this year. Right. All gas, no breaks. Right. We're literally just going straight through it. And on that note, let's get into what is happening. I want to start with Derek Carr. He is being wooed hard, <laughs> Go for <some> wood. <laughs> primarily by NFC teams because, duh, I mean, he'd be like the third best quarterback in the NFC or something right. like that. I, don't, I, don't right. know. I haven't looked at the list lately, but he'd be good. He'd be up there. He'd be up there. He certainly would be one of the top seven quarterbacks in the NFC, which is the number of playoff teams there are each year yeah. in the NFC. Yes. And he'd be like the top. He'd be like in the top 12 in the AFC. Yep. Maybe. Yep, maybe. So certainly one of those teams is the New York Jets who do play in the AFC. But does Derek Carr's landing spot, does it phase you at all? Or are you just following this for the uh, for the drama, the, uh, the gossip? So I think I've kind of softened on Derek Carr as far as as far as like his wanting him to fail, basically, because. As much as he was a baby back bitch in Vegas and in Oakland, which he absolutely was, I just feel like at this point, he's an old guy. He's never, ever, ever, ever won anything. And he seems he's like he is him. a good dude. Like, regardless of how much I think he cries and, and all the, you know, the stuff about him, I think he is genuinely a good dude. And if he goes to somewhere like New York or Indianapolis, another AFC team that, you know, is at least probably thinking about it, um, the only thing that, you know, would ever be annoying at that point is if he defeated the Chiefs head to head, which I don't see happening no matter where he goes. So that being said, no, I'm not really that phased about if Derek Carr wants to go to the Jets. I think the Jets are a good team, and I think that would be one of the better landing spots for him. And I think he could compete in the AFC East, and I think he might do us a favor and knock off Buffalo or Miami or, you know, sure. do something like that that could end up benefiting the Chiefs by the Jets getting a better quarterback. And if that's Derek Carr, I'm totally fine with that. Uh, I don't think he's going to stand in the way of the Chiefs accomplishing anything they want to accomplish, and that's good enough for me. Let's talk about Aaron Rodgers, who is fine. still fucking with us. Yeah, and hard. I don't want to devote a lot of time to this because <laughs> I don't want to participate in this charade. Yeah, but games and schemes. Aaron Rodgers to the AFC. Is there any team in the AFC, and really we're probably, again, just talking about the Jets, Jets. 
maybe the Raiders. I guess the Raiders yeah. potentially could be in the mix there. Jets yeah. or Raiders. Yep. Is there any team in the AFC where if they add 39-year-old Aaron Rodgers, you are going to have you know any level of concern above like a three on a 10-point scale? Yeah, I think the Raiders. I think that's a, you know, Rodgers and Devontae Adams back together again. Sure. And, you know, right now the Raiders have no quarterback. They have Jarrett Stidham. They're obviously going to do what they can to either draft a quarterback or try and bring Jimmy G in or something like that. I mean, there's a lot of futures where the Raiders still just mean nothing to me because they didn't figure out their quarterback. And I'm not saying Rodgers is necessarily figuring it out. I'm not saying he's necessarily going to come in and be an MVP or anything like that, but he's certainly presents what I think is probably the Raiders best option at quarterback for next year. And I mean, yeah, that would be annoying. I would be, I, I would be annoyed that the chiefs would have to go through two Super Bowl winning quarterbacks in Rogers and Wilson. Two and of the very few left. Two of the few four of the- active quarterbacks with Super Bowl rings, <laughs> which is preposterous. Pat has one. Rogers has one. Russ well, has one. Pat, Pat has two, buddy. Sorry, sorry. I meant two. I meant two. Pat has, Pat two. has as Rogers, many as Aaron Rodgers and Russell and Wilson combined. Wilson combined, correct. And then the other one would be Stafford, and that's it. And so, like, uh, yeah, if two, if three of the four active quarterbacks with rings are all in the AFC West, like that's be, annoying. It'd be annoying. That's it'd be annoying. annoying. Even even if those guys, I mean, Our even if, unless he's like Russ levels of washed, you right. know, it, he he probably isn't. Then it, it would be fun. fun, but he probably is not. And yeah. Especially Nobody's pairing him with Devonte and Josh McDaniels, guys that actually know kind of what they're doing. Uh, let's talk about another AFC quarterback. It, really, kind of a cluster of AFC quarterbacks, but really Lamar Jackson because mm-hmm. he still doesn't have a contract. There's certainly a lot of word going around that the Ravens could franchise tag him, and there are two different kinds of franchise tags. They could give him the exclusive tag, which would require them to pay him forty-five million dollars ish next year. Uh, and no other team would be able to swoop in and, you know, steal him out from the Ravens unless the Ravens agreed to trade him, tag and trade him to another team. They move could in after the, completion. Move in after completion. They could set the compensation there. But they could also give him the non-exclusive tag. And and I've heard some rumors that that is something that they could do, which would essentially give him the opportunity to go around and talk to other teams and mm-hmm. see what other teams literally like go out and get pen to paper in terms of what other teams are willing to offer him. And the Ravens then would have the ability to either match that or they could trade him essentially for two first round picks. It's a very bizarre and we've obviously we've never seen anybody get traded on the, you know, yeah. uh, open tag, whatever it's called. Yeah. Uh, yeah so Not it was an interesting. Yeah. It'd be an interesting situation. But remember, Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert and Jalen Hurts, He's in the NFC, but but him too are all extension eligible as well. And you know, Patrick Mahomes was paid. He got his contract in July uh, after his third season. Glorious day. So, and and it was it was early. I mean, he got it before Watson from the same draft class. You know, he was one of the first guys from. He was the first guy from his class to get a big extension when eligible. Yeah, he got a monster extension. But, you know, even even Josh Allen, that was very close to the start of the season. Uh, There's just a lot of things. There's just a lot of different ways that this could go. And this has the opportunity to legitimately throw the AFC into chaos, not just Lamar Jackson potentially moving, but the Burrow and Herbert contracts and the Lamar contract all have the possibility of just completely blowing up the AFC. 
Well, one thing that really also complicates things is Lamar not having an agent. Sure. And, you know, so all of these these contract machinations that they're doing. Now, I did hear that the NFLPA is like the NFLPA, which yes. and and I, what I heard, I don't know if you heard this as well, is that, you know, part of the reason that this fully guaranteed deal keeps coming up is because the NFLPA wants their players to get fully guaranteed contracts. Yep. And so it's almost like the fact that he doesn't have an agent, but is being assisted by the NFLPA is sort of driving. Now there's been sort of conflicting reports about whether he ever asked for this yeah. or whether he's insisting on it, but yeah. the NFLPA absolutely wants that to be the precedent. And, you know, there's right now one player, Deshaun Watson, and I guess Kirk cousins, but yeah. you know, much smaller number and shorter mm -hmm. deal. Mm -hmm. They would love to be able to say, well, now there's two guys. So now the precedent has firmly been set. All quarterback contracts are going to be fully guaranteed. Well, and what's shitty about that from Lamar's perspective is that they are not coming to the bargaining table with just Lamar's interest in mind. Sure. They have their own right. agenda. Of course. of course. You know, the NFLPA is saying, oh, sure. dude, 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 it'd be so funny if you asked them for fully guaranteed because what's right. the worst that could happen for the NFLPA? Right. Like right. If, if they say Nothing. no. Right. They have Lamar no skin gets, in the game, really. Yeah, exactly. For Lamar. For Lamar. Yes, right, exactly. So, you know, from that perspective, I think I think that things are so complicated because if you're a smart agent, like you want to get your guy paid, you want to get a good contract in place and all that stuff, but like you want to squeeze as much as you can out of those slum dogs. Absolutely. And so now you're waiting on these mega deals. And once these mega deals for Burrow and Herbert and Hertz start coming down, then Lamar's gonna have to sit there himself and analyze all these all these pages and pages of documents about what exactly these contracts mean and, and what their exact, you know, value is and all that stuff. And he's going to have to do that because the NFLPA is not going to have his best interest in heart at heart there. And if they get done before Lamar's deal, then like, I, I mean, or after either way, it's just all, it's a huge mess. And I'm so glad and thankful that the chiefs are not, wading into these waters of trying to match yeah. Patrick Mahomes with all these other deals, because they'd have to basically, if they, if they were one of these other organizations, they'd wait and they'd go, all right, well, we're going to give him a million dollars more than whatever else everybody does, or, you know, 5 million more or whatever. So instead they get to sit back on their, you know, King on their thrones and watch them all, throne. watch all the peasants fight. What's incredible about that too, is that, you know, that, I mean, there was a lot of talk, obviously going into this season and really even up leading up to the Super Bowl about the fact that, you know, the highest quarterback cap hit single quarterback cap hit to ever win a Super Bowl was Steve Young at like 13 yes. percent in like the second year of the salary cap back in 94, whatever the year was. Percent. Yeah. And Mahomes this year was over 17, 17.1% of the cap. And he won the Super Bowl. <laughs> so it's like these other guys are going to demand that percentage of the cap. Yeah. But are those the kind of guys that can win you a Super Bowl with that kind of cap hit? Because so far, only one quarterback has proven that he's even capable of doing that, that it's even possible. And it's our yeah. quarterback who's already paid and locked in at the low, low rate of 50 million APY for 10 more years. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet of up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. 
You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. And best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TPPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Let's get back to talking about the two-time with this two-time, two-time Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. It's our third, fourth episodes. I, I've completely lost track of time. Oh, geez. Our, our, yeah. Counting the emergency episode. Third. Yeah, counting the emergency oh. episode, fourth, I think. Yeah, counting the emergency yeah. fourth. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, we haven't done our awards yet. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with the show, we've got a couple of routine recurring bits that we do we have one called the numbers the figures we talk about cool stats from the game but we kind of covered that already in our first super bowl recap episode so we're going to jump straight into the chief system which is really more of your thing so i'm just gonna i'm gonna turn it over to you sure so obviously uh for anyone that hasn't heard this the chief system is the system that the chiefs employ when they uh, because, or when they're victorious in a football game. And the Chiefs stands for create drama, handle adversity, inspire hope, engage physically, finish strong, separate entirely. And so just to assign uh, some of these events to those elements in the system, creating drama other than, you know, sometimes I'll just put the stakes of the game is the creating drama. And clearly sure. when you're playing in the Super Bowl, there's there's enough drama there uh, to, to serve itself. But Pat also... Added to this, re-aggravates his high ankle sprain, rolls it. The Chiefs pump the ball back to the Eagles at the end of the first half, who put up three more points to go into half up 10. So as much drama, you know, Chiefs being down 10 in the playoffs, like that's as dramatic as it gets. Here, That's a big halftime hole. That's something that only one team before the Chiefs had ever come out of in the second half of being down 10. And then the Chiefs, of course, do the H and handle adversity. They start the second half with a just a, a – meticulous, dominant, easy touchdown drive to start the second half. Ten plays, 75 yards, took five minutes. They ran the ball. Pat scrambled a little bit. Uh, he had that great 14-yard scramble on second and three from the 18. After, I mean, the first drive after coming back out with the ankle. So that was, uh, that was a really good sign and certainly a sign that he handled adversity himself. And then Pacheco finishes the drive off with a little one-yard touchdown run and adversity handled. And so then the teams are at that point, you know, it's a three point game. Philly kicks a field goal at six and then the Chiefs come back down the field, down six and put the Eagles DBs in a clown suit with the first version of Corndog. And it Kadarius Tony will little out and up, little over, takes the takes the Corndog catch and the Chiefs inspire hope by finally, you know, I mean, as as the fans watching this game, we certainly were inspired at this point that like, okay, this this game is back to back to anybody's game. The Chiefs are up. We're ready to roll. And then engage physically. Um, I, this isn't an event from the game. This is more of a the entire game. Which vibe. Off, yeah, it's a vibe. It's a it's a big time mood. The offensive line allowing zero sacks. Put it on a t shirt. Um, as engaged physically as you can get with a team like the Eagles that are as physically dominant on both sides of the ball as we've seen in a while in the NFL and the chiefs took that challenge to heart and they did not allow Patrick Mahomes on his bum ankle to get touched by the um, Eagles defense. Well, they got, he got touched a couple times, but not for a sack. So engaged physically zero sacks. Then you've got finished strong. The chiefs got the ball back 
after a Philly touchdown and two-point conversion and Octopus for Jalen Hurts, tied at 35 with 5.15 to go. And to finish strong, you've got to be able to hold on to that ball and milk the entire mm. five minutes for, crazy. A, for a game-winning kick that is way harder to do than just saying, well, yeah, just – run the ball a couple times. And I mean, you know, Philly had all three timeouts as we talked about after the game. Um, there was so much here that could have gone wrong for the chiefs and given the ball back to Philly tied, or even if they had kicked a field goal with two minutes left, or, I mean, so many scenarios could have ended the disaster for the chiefs, but instead they were able to drain the entire five minutes with help from James Bradbury, kick the field goal with eight seconds left to finish strong. And then of course, since there's only one more offensive play, Separate entirely. Jalen Hurts throws way short on the Hail Mary attempt after he steps on Jason Kelsey's foot. The Chiefs separate entirely and win Super Bowl 57. The Chiefs. Mm. I love that we've gotten in our first year of doing the Chiefs system. I mean, what what week did we even implement this? It wasn't even a week one start. <laughs> yeah, it was like us. week three or four or something. It was it was really I, I love year. how uh ingrained it's become in Chiefs Twitter, of course, among our listeners, but you know, it's yes. got some got some broad appeal it was nice to experience a super bowl chief system victory so our next award segment is slightly different from how we normally do this and for those who may be new listeners to the podcast we've been getting quite a few through the playoff run uh you're not going to get to hear how we normally do it until week one but we do five star men speaks for itself Men who, by their play, say, I'm a five-star man. Trash men. I'm the trash man. I come out, I throw trash all over the, all over the ring. And then I start eating garbage. Who are, by their play, eating garbage on the field. Uh, people who played badly. And wild cards. Wild card, bitches! Yeah! Who are capable of anything. For the playoffs, as the Chiefs swept their playoff matchups and won every game and, you know, won a championship as you do when you don't lose a playoff game. We've just been doing five-star men. So we each have three for the Super Bowl. I will start, and I'm giving a five-star man to one of the guys in your chief system, Kadarius Tony, The Joker. I was stunned to <laughs> learn that Kadarius Tony had a total of eight snaps in the Super Bowl. Yeah. I was... I was shocked by this and six of those were on offense and two of them were on special teams. <laughs> so in six offensive snaps, he caught the go ahead, the first go ahead touchdown. And, and to be clear, the chiefs never relinquished the lead. The no. Eagles came back to tie it, but it was not, you know, I mean, that was the, really the turning point in the game when the chiefs yeah. were able to come down on the first corn dog, as you mentioned, and take their first lead of the game. And, Two snaps on special teams, one of which happened to be the longest punt return in Super Bowl history. And really, if he doesn't get, you know, caught in a crowd there at the end, I mean, he easily houses that. I mean, sure, it was, five yards away. It just ended up being, you know, that they're just. It was weird. You Too almost never see that on a punt return, like mm -hmm. that many bodies at the end of the field. Mm -hmm. uh, but I mean, those two plays on essentially, you know, I mean, almost back-to-back -back plays. Yeah. For a guy to have that kind of impact in a Super Bowl, a midseason acquisition who cost the Chiefs a third round pick. It's just crazy. And I think you you saw in the mic'd up segment, obviously, Andy Reid coming over and essentially saying, like, that's why you push through adversity, you know, like that's why we do it. You never know when your number's gonna get called. And 
I think it's a huge testament to the organization that a guy like Kadarius Tony can come in and I mean, really wasn't even hardly healthy at all in the regular season, come in and be a factor playing eight snaps in the Super Bowl. And essentially I get that somebody else punched it in at the end, but essentially scoring two touchdowns on almost back-to-back plays to give the chiefs an eight point lead in the game. Yeah. Unbelievable. I loved his reply to Andy after he told him that he said, I'm always ready coach. I mean, just very, very locked in. I, I felt like every interview with Tony since he be, came to Kansas city has been really, his, his mentality has been perfect. Like he hasn't been distracted. He hasn't been, um, I mean, like everything's been about getting better and about, you know, finishing being a good football player, just all these things that you want to hear from him. I just think he's been an unbelievable teammate and player and, yeah, it might have been eight snaps, but um, I don't know if anybody in NFL history has done more with eight snaps in a Super Bowl than a touchdown, a go-ahead touchdown, and the longest punt return in, in, in Super Bowl history. I mean, unbelievable. So love that pick. Love Kadarius Tony. Very excited for his future with the team. Andy said yeah, this week that season. you know his role is going to grow. He's going to have an offseason to be healthy and all that stuff. And I mean, I just think that that was as as big of a home run by my five first five star man Ooh. as there was this year. And of course, that would be Brett Veach. Mm. Brett motherfucking Veach, man. Uh, you know the committee warned you. There, there's just a lot of Brett Veach has done a lot in his short amount of time as the chiefs GM and most of it has been hitting homers. Like yeah. Not all just, of it. Good. I mean, off to a slow start, but yes, yes. Once he got going bat, bat, bat out of here, out of here, just, just knocking drafts out, knocking trades out, knocking contracts out every part of a GM that you want your DM to be good at. He's been brilliant at for about three years now. And Kadarius Tony is just such a underscoring of that mentality where not only did this player that was acquired midseason was was he one of the biggest reasons the Chiefs won a Super Bowl that year? But he's cheap and he's he's talented and they've got him for a couple more years. So he he not only did a move to win for the now, he did a move to win for the next couple of years. By sure. Tony. I right. mean, it was it was as good of a masterclass of finding the right player for your team as there's been in the NFL. And then of course. You combine it with the 10 rookies that played in the Super Bowl for the Chiefs, which was just an unbelievable display of draft dominance by Veach and his staff. And, you know, the the last two draft classes have been they will be the reason that the Chiefs win a shitload of games for the next couple of years. Like those two draft classes are going to be as instrumental in this team's success as Patrick Mahomes, like obviously. I love Pat. I think he's the GOAT. Everything, you know, he, he does more for his team than anyone else in football. But when you supplement him with cheap, effective football players, multiple years in a row and multiple classes full of them, like how can he not win? Like he's just, he's surrounded by these guys that don't cost anything that are good football players. And that's all Brett Veach. That's Veach and his staff. So I am giving the Chiefs front office and specifically GM Brett Veach my first five star man. Hmm. Love it. We don't usually go off the field. It's a little bit, no, it's a little it's bit atypical, do. but it's always fun to throw a little curveball in there. I like the pick. My second guy is going to be, I don't know. I don't want to call him an unsung hero because he's, he's the greatest tight end in NFL history. He's the greatest tight end in chiefs history. Two nights away from SNL hosting two nights away from hosting Saturday night live. It's going to be hilarious. Can't it's going to be great. Of course it's Travis Kelsey. 81 yards. He's the Chiefs' leading receiver in this game. I mean, Patrick Mahomes had 182 yards passing. 
Travis Kelsey had almost half of our receiving yards in this game. And what's crazy about that is 60 of those were on the first two drives. So I feel like when we talk about, obviously this game was won by the chiefs in the second half. And so I feel like in some ways this is a little bit, you know, it's a little bit outside the box, but I think the leading receiver in a Super Bowl victory has to be recognized mm-hmm. and is now a player who is second behind Jerry Rice and basically every postseason statistic for a receiver. And obviously Jerry Rice was a wide receiver. Travis Kelsey is at least nominally a tight end, but you know, he had a couple of clutch catches in the second half and he just does so much for this team, man. I mean, yeah. you, you have to, pay attention to him. You have to deal with him. And, you know, some of those plays that the Chiefs were scheming up in the second half, they were doubling Travis Kelsey. That's why you have guys like Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore scoring touchdowns. I just think, you know, those players' contributions certainly are extremely important. But I think the what he did the first two drives not only set the table for the Chiefs, you know, the rest of the game, but I mean, even even on a on an off field level, on a sideline level, the leadership, you know, I, I cracked up because the chiefs put out a tweet the other day that said a language that only tight ends speak. And it was just, <laughs> it was just a mashup of all that. the times Travis was saying more, yes. more, more, yes. more, more on the sideline. And he, he went through like 40, this guy. 40 times. Yeah. And it just is, uh, it's incredible to, for us, you know, as obviously having followed him his entire career, just to see the maturation and the growth there. And um, I, I, uh, I can't think of a more deserving player for a Super Bowl five-star man award than Travis Kelsey. I love it. Um, I, you know, Kelsey also had a lot on the line in this game, not sure, only Kelsey Bowl, which is huge. And, you know, he talks a lot. He talks more about the Tampa loss than he does the San Francisco win, at yeah. least on New Heights and yep. in interviews and stuff. The Tampa loss really, really stuck with Travis. Yeah. In a way that I haven't heard any other player, including Patrick, talk about how much that loss hurt. Yes. And and to go out there in a Super Bowl, you know, and comparing him to Jason, like Jason's been in the Super Bowl one time and won it. So he didn't really have that kind of that sure. need to go out there in this game and get the job done. But Travis certainly had it. And also getting a second ring for a guy that's trying to, I mean, say it or not for him, trying to go down as the best player at his position of all time, getting that second Super Bowl ring just does so much to catch Gronk, to catch, I mean, to, to be established as a winner, do all the stuff that the Canton, you know, stuff is going to require. And I, it just it was such a big legacy game for Kelsey specifically. Obviously, it was for Pat and Andy, but like all three of them had so much to gain in this game. And uh, I just was so happy for him. I was happy that he was able to come out on top because you just know that a loss in that game, I mean, would have been devastating for him. Yeah, devastating. Yeah. And yeah. instead, he had the best. You know, he said the best year of his life. I mean, that's just such a for for people like us that root for him and that love him. That's just such a great thing to hear how happy he was. And I just Kelsey's the best. So great pick there. Um, I'm going to go with a guy that should have had two defensive touchdowns Mm. and could have won Super Bowl MVP, if not for a bad overturn on a call that was on the field called a touchdown. Of course, I'm talking about linebacker Nick Bolton. not only the second fumble return that I'm saying should have counted, but the first fumble return that did count, arguably, maybe not even arguably, the play of the game. I mean, 
Eagles have the ball up seven early driving. Things could have gotten out of hand in a hurry. And instead you get a defensive touchdown and the game's tied and just the whole weight of that game becomes lifted. Now, clearly the, the chiefs would then go down 10 from that point, but if they don't get that fumble six, I mean, they're probably down 17 or 20 at that point sure. instead of just 10. I mean, it's a, it's a massive play and Nick Bolton, was all, all over the field, as he has been throughout his entire time in Kansas City. He led the team in tackles again, of course. Um, just a great leader and a great example of, again, of Veach knocking out a draft class because that pick was not maybe necessarily universally loved at the time, bringing in Nick Bolton into this team. But, I mean, talk about a guy that's just won the entire fan base over. Uh, he is so deserving of a five-star man. I'm very excited to give it to him. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny with Bolton because, of course, being a Missouri player, mm -hmm. uh, I think very polarizing figure. But as you said, uh, it's hard to – it's hard not to like Nick Bolton when he – played a pivotal role in delivering the Chiefs their second Super Bowl championship in four years. I'm going to go with a group for my final guy, and it's the offensive line. Put it on a T-shirt. I love it. I just – it's it's hard to imagine the Chiefs I, – I mean, we're going to talk later in the show to close the show out about 2019 versus 2022. Uh -huh. And 2022 had, you know, Eric Fisher, Mitchell – or 2019, Eric Fisher, Mitchell Schwartz – you know, probably the best tackle combination the Chiefs have had since the early 2000s. But, I mean, this offensive line across the board against, you know, the team with the second most sacks or whatever it was in NFL history, sure, the field played a little bit of a role in that probably. But, I mean, the offensive line put in the work. They dominated this game. They dominated in the run game. They protected Patrick Mahomes. It's Great to see the continuity. You know, Pat's a little bit of an unconventional quarterback to try and protect. But, you know, yeah. uh, we're here having a conversation or we will be having a conversation, you know, in the next three or four weeks about Orlando Brown and what, what's going to happen with him. You know, Andrew Wiley playing well enough to earn himself a second contract with the Chiefs if he really wanted one. Uh, it, it's It was just... It was a powerful performance by the Chiefs offensive line. I can't think of a better word to describe it than that. I think all five of those guys, shout out to them, uh, five-star men. Yeah, I, I love it. Of course, the offensive line was as, as big of a reason almost as anything that the Chiefs won. But, of course, the biggest of course. reason. Of course. I mean, the biggest reason that we're here and we're talking about the Chiefs and that we're excited about the team of every second of being a Chiefs fan is Patrick LeVon Mahomes the second? He is he's perfect. I mean, there there's yeah. just nothing else. There's just nothing else to say, uh, but I will, of course. Um the way that he was able to gut through this game and go out there when not only was his ankle starting in the second half not a hundred percent, but the the adversity that he faced against an Eagles team that not only had a ferocious defense, but had a, a ball control offense that stole the time of possession away from him and that, you know, did everything they could with their sneaks and all that stuff to keep the ball out of his hands. He just didn't lose faith. He didn't lose his composure. He was always cool and calm as we expect from him these days and was just as electric and efficient as you could ask for. He was had 131 quarterback rating, of course, a 96.4 QBR, his fifth best game of his illustrious career. 
the three touchdowns with no picks. He finally had his his Super Bowl game that you can't look to it and say, man, he really struggled for this amount of time, for a quarter or a half or the whole game. He didn't struggle for a second. He really did. And the scramble, which we talked about is not – even really on our radar for one of his top 10 plays of all time is still, I mean, people still talk about that as, as one of the greatest Super Bowl plays of all time, just based sure. on the the context sure. and based on the, you know, his ankle and the, the stakes and everything. But I just, I, I still am wowed by him every game that he plays. And I thought that would wear off after five seasons. I mean, it would mm. almost have to, sure. but it just hasn't, it just hasn't. He is, we're so, so, so lucky to have him. I've given him a five-star award, as have you, many times in, throughout since we started doing the awards. I'm not sure if it's ever been as justified as this five-star. He was the best. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say anything else beyond what we've been saying for as long as we've been doing this podcast. But, you know, obviously to play through the injury in this game is something that you know, we've seen him play through injuries before. I mean, really, all three of the Super Bowls he's played in, he's been yeah, he's been dealing with something. But yeah. this one, the the pain was tangible and real, and you could mm-hmm. see it on his face. And uh-huh. he, you know, he told you that you know the the pain in the Tampa Super Bowl was worse. You know that he was more limited in that game than this game, but you couldn't see it. You no. couldn't tell. This one, you could tell. You could see it. And for him to fight through it, you know, when he was obviously hurting and in pain and just put the team on his back. Uh, really an unbelievable performance by Patrick, a five-star man forever and always. You want to get into this mailbag? Yeah, let's do it. We've got one from our guy, Dennis, DPOSJ. Another Super Bowl question for the pod. Would you rather root for a team with a legendary Super Bowl total spread out over decades, and he sides the Pittsburgh Steelers, a legendary total over one specific and legendary run. He cites the New England Patriots, obviously the Brady Belichick Patriots, or had only one, have multiple recent, have a very good team, but aren't guaranteed another. Obviously, this assumes that the team becomes the Chiefs, so you don't have any problems rooting for other laundry. What do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a essentially there are three types of dynasty, so to speak. There's like franchise dynasty Steelers. There's like decade dynasty Patriots. And then there's like just kind of this like electric current, like you could see them becoming a dynasty, but they haven't quite done it yet. And that's the Chiefs. And I I mean, would I rather root? Obviously, it's hard for me to separate the profiles there from the teams that they are. And I've had a blast rooting for this version of the Chiefs as as fun as I would expect the 70s Steelers or the 2000 Patriots fans had during this era of their run where, yeah, it's not complete yet, but that's what's fun. What's fun to me is that it's not over yet. And it I just get that feeling that this team has is going to end up doing what both the Steelers and the Patriots did. I, I really feel that way. And it might not be true, but it certainly is the excitement that I feel watching this team is that they are not only going to have the most Super Bowls in NFL history by the time Patrick gets done, but they're going to have the biggest run, you know, in a, in a 10 year span bigger than the Patriots. I mean, I really think it's all in front of them. So my answer here is that I would take the team that hasn't done it yet, but that looks like they're about to do it because the prospect there is tantalizing. Yeah. I mean, this is something that, I mean, it, it really 
calls back to the show we did with Randy last week and the conversation we were having about you know, where we set the over under and where it really should be from homes with titles. And I really do think, I mean, any NFL team throughout history that's won a Super Bowl with the exception of teams like the Rams or something where you could kind of see the end coming as you reach the top of the mountain that it was about to go straight downhill <laughs> off the cliff. And it did, you know, and it did, but you know, I mean, guys like Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers and Peyton Manning, all those guys and Drew Brees, you know, when they won their first Super Bowl, those fans could reasonably have expected those teams to win another and mm -hmm. maybe a few more. But this one does feel different. It's not just the fact that Mahomes is the whatever second youngest quarterback to, to two rings behind Brady, you know. The fact that he already has two regular season MVPs in five years, the fact that the Chiefs have Andy Reid and it sounds like he wants to stick around for a while, it just it does feel inevitable. And you know, even I mean, worst case scenario, even if the Chiefs never win another ring with Patrick Mahomes, two is still damn good. It'll be a disappointment if he of only finishes with two, of course. But you're but, saying it's elite company already. It's elite company already, and from here on out, it really is house money. I think, mm -hmm. you know, the the bar. This is what we talked about with Randy. The bar is the Patriots. They're they're the competition. You know, Brady and Belichick with six. That's that's for Andy and Patrick. And you know, if Andy hangs them up before before Pat can win four more, that's understandable. Mm -hmm. But you know, I'm sure they will give it a shot. So that's a great question, Dennis. We've got one here from the artist chief, our guy, Corey, Corey 04. I just got one of his prints, not specifically the Super Bowl. So I'm going to have to order another one, but it is looking fine. Kaka! Thank you, Corey. Question for the podcast. MFK, Super Bowl 4, Super Bowl 54, Super Bowl 57. Now, we already answered this question on Twitter, but I want to give it another. I want to give it another whack. I'm going to let you give your answer first. Sure. Um, I would say, as I said on Twitter, Mary, your first, your first love, which is not the first Super Bowl four is not my first. I, this is from my perspective and my first was Super Bowl 54. So I'm going to marry 54. I'm definitely fucking 57 because that was a sexual experience. It was electric. I loved every second of it. And then I, if I got to kill one of the three chief Super Bowls, it's obviously going to be the one I never watched. Sure. So kill Super Bowl four. Sorry, grandpa. Uh, yeah, I, right. I hacked this question. Yeah, you did. And I killed Super Bowl 55. <laughs> an obvious Super Bowl to kill. I killed yeah. it with fire. Obviously, if I have to play by Corey's rules, which I don't like to do, I'm killing Super Bowl 4, same as you. But I have a different I have a different twist. I'm swapping them. I don't think you marry your first love, buddy. That's you don't marry your high school sweetheart. It's a poor decision. You know, it's it's, it's hot and heavy it's when you're counter. a teenager. And that's all great, but you know, then you're in your 30s or whatever, and you're both completely different people. <laughs> uh, you don't you don't marry your first love. You marry somebody that, after you have more life experience and perspective, you know is giving you something steady, and that is what Super Bowl 57 was for me. That is the Super Bowl that I'm marrying. This, isn't, this wasn't. A, I hate how much better your answer is than mine. It wasn't. As a married man, I can give. Yeah perspective on this i yeah. mean listen it wasn't a sexual experience for me there was no wasp in that super bowl right but it was a steady experience and it was our second ring you know like it's it's uh it's just a more 
stable relationship. It means more because of what has come before it, your history. Like now, it. that being said, Super Bowl 54, highly sexual. Uh, <laughs> I, I would go back and re-F that on a regular basis because it's it's delightful. I, I just watched it a couple of weeks ago before Super Bowl 57. I will watch it many times again. You never forget your first time. But again, that doesn't mean that you got to put a ring on it. Uh, I prefer putting ring on number two. Super Bowl 57. <laughs> got some here from our Discord. I'm going to let you uh, take sure, this first. Yeah. Our guy, original GMF, Kaka, Kaka. Uh, asked us or said, another curse broken. Patrick Mahomes won the Super Bowl, taking up 17% of the team's salary cap. Previously, there was no quarterback that won a Super Bowl, taking up more than 12.5% of the team's salary cap in the season. So just talking, I mean, he didn't really ask a question, but kind of talking about curses and some trends that the Chiefs bucked in this Super Bowl, um, I think it was really significant that the Chiefs were the first team ever to win with a mega a mega contract at quarterback. And I think and not even close. I mean, not like five percent. I mean, that's yeah, that's a gigantic gap. And the the way that you know, one of the things about Patrick that's that's so obvious is that he just has such a high floor for accomplishment. He has such – every year he's won 12 games and been to the AFC Championship game in overtime at the very least. And I think that's – you know, winning the Super Bowl with 17% of his cap just shows that, like, if he's there, it's almost all you need. Almost. Clearly – You've got to build the team around him, but you certainly the Chiefs basically what this says is they won the Super Bowl with fewer non-quarterback assets than any team in NFL history, at least from from a money perspective. And that just is a that's a testament to Patrick. And I it's good of original GMF to point out because uh that's a that's a monster accomplishment he, he made there. Yeah, huge. I mean, it's uh it's not even close to any other player. And I mean the Chiefs, the 2022 Chiefs won a Super Bowl with a roster. I mean, not just the quarterback, but with a roster unlike any other roster that's ever won a Super Bowl in NFL history. Yeah. Not only with the quarterback cap hit, but obviously you're paying big money to Chris Jones. I, I don't remember the statistic off the top of my head, but they were. I don't know that any team had ever won paying a non-quarterback what the Chiefs were paying Chris Jones. Even. Uh, I don't quote me on that, but I seem to recall reading that. And then obviously to have two of those guys that are major outliers on the same team, you know, that you're paying a lot of money uh, possible because of your five-star man, Brett Beach yeah. filling out the roster with just an outrageous generational draft class. Um, I mean, we've talked about that before on the show, you know, that saints draft class, like five or six years ago where they just filled out the entire roster. They hit on every single player that will set you up for years and years and years. And the chiefs not only set themselves up for years and years and years, but won a super bowl in the first year. So second part of his question, I'll take based off a tweet. I just saw is Eli Manning better than John Elway. Uh, he goes on to say that he would like to start a petition to officially rename John Elway to captain jabroni, which is pretty good. Uh, he suggests a new segment where we compare a quarterback to captain jabroni every week during the off season, which is actually kind of an interesting idea. It would be a lot of work, but we could, uh, we could maybe swing that. We're not going to have a whole maybe lot. Maybe not of- every week, but yeah, maybe not every week. Maybe once we get into like June, July, when there's uh-huh. almost nothing going on, the NFL content machine is going to keep pretty busy until then. But is Eli Manning better than John Elway? Uh, listen, I have made this comparison many times because 
Eli Manning's whole thing is based just like John Elway's on hype and big moments and big plays. And we haven't talked about this since it happened. And I'm actually glad that original GMF asked us about John Elway. But last week, for those of you that may have missed it on Twitter.com, there was a Broncos fan who posted a clip from a game against the Jets yes. in I think 1988. And it was a clip of John Elway uh, essentially taking a safety. His knee was down, but he was in the end zone, right? And he, was, he wasn't he was actually actively being tackled when it happened. This wasn't even that cool of a play, to be honest. Yeah. He gets hit. He's going to the ground. And in fact, he is on the ground because his knee is down. But they didn't have an instant replay back then. So, you know, uh, he gets the ball off for like a 10-yard game, right? Okay. It wasn't that cool. This Broncos person said, you know, like, oh, people say we've never seen somebody like Patrick Mahomes. John Elway was doing this every week. And I just want to illustrate again, we're going to have to do Elway thread part three, uh-huh. where we go pull all the tape. Because not only was this actually a safety, the very next play, the very next play, he takes an actual safety, <laughs> holds the ball for like 15 seconds, drops all the way back to the back of the end zone, right? Like drops back like 15 yards behind the line of scrimmage and has like 10 seconds to throw the ball or throw the ball away or whatever. And he gets tackled and thrown to the ground and takes an actual safety. And mm-hmm. I'm going to get back to Eli Manning. I'll get back to Eli Manning. But that is the crude system i mean that highlight of him being pushed down i mean this was in a a youtube video that was always it was called elway's greatest comebacks and by (laughs) the way he lost this game yeah by like 20 points to the jets Uh and he got benched for gary kubiak he didn't come back from anything but this is the kind of thing like i'm sure this this segment probably like originally aired in like the 90s when he was getting elected into the hall of fame and people were like yeah this Elway play is incredible. Look at this guy, like, throwing off one leg as he's getting pushed to the ground. Like, this is incredible. Look at this highlight. It wasn't even a good play, and he got blown out in that game. And ben- <laughs> But nobody had the ability to look that up in 1998. There was no profootballreference.com. You couldn't just go find this game instantly, which, of course, Chiefs fans on Twitter instantly did and got this guy to delete his tweet because of how preposterous it was. It just... Ugh, it gets me fired up. But to answer your question, Eli Manning probably was worse than John Elway, uh, but I do think they're comparable players. Can I give you some numbers? Yeah, please. So um, Pro Football Reference, which you just referenced, uh, has a great little summary of each person, of each quarterback by their uh, adjusted per their era numbers. So like touchdown percentage plus sure, is sure. their touchdown percentage compared to everyone when they played. We've talked about this ad nauseum with Elway, but just to, just to throw out now, Eli played obviously in an era that was much harder to put up good numbers compared to everyone else in your era, 2004 to 2019. I mean, the quarterback boom, you know, he played during this era. So touchdown percentage, which is the you know percentage of his throws that go for touchdowns. Eli had five of his 16 seasons below 100, 94, 91, 88, 88, 87. John Elway had eight seasons of his 16 below oh 100 in touchdown what percentage is- plus. So Eli was throwing touchdowns more often than Elway compared to his peers. Quarterback rating, uh, John Elway, one, two, three, four, five, six seasons below average. Eli Manning, six seasons below average. So, like, pretty look, comparable. 
they are they both played 234 starts for Manning, 231 starts for Elway, 16 sure. years for both of them, two rings pilots. for both of them. I mean, they they do very much have similar, you know, career accomplishments in that regard. And uh the only difference is Eli, when he got to the Super Bowl, won it every time. Wasn't shitty enough to lose three Super Bowls the and- way John Elway was beat two legendary teams. I mean, he beat yeah, Tom Brady Tom and the Patriots Brady. in the Super Bowl twice. The guys only got three Super Bowl versus Tom Brady had to head. He would have gotten his shit kicked in like he did he every time he played a good team in the Super Bowl. Sure, right, exactly. He beat – who did he beat? He beat Favre and Chris Chandler. Yeah. And Chris Chandler, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So, uh, the layman's terms. Please discuss all the notable free agent moves, trades in the AFC West and how they have contributed – to the division we'll hit these quick there's obviously we're not going to dive into them we have several times before but just to go from team to team and once more as we've done recap what they did in the offseason uh we'll start with the raiders who you know adding Devonte adams was big but chandler jones was a monster when they added him from arizona was an absolute beast on the defensive line i mean those are two mega 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 additions to their team and you know clearly that uh <laughs> did not work out for the Raiders, as we saw. Um, the Chargers added Khalil Mack and J.C. Jackson. They added, like, two of the best, you know, uh, well, J.C. Jackson was the best free agent cornerback, and then Khalil Mack was still playing really, really well for the Bears when they traded for him, and uh didn't quite matter. And then, no. of course, as we've established, the Broncos brought in offensive guru, head coach, Nathaniel Hackett, who was supposed to yeah. unlock the swag in Denver. And then he also, they also, of course, traded everything they've ever known or loved to Seattle for Russell Wilson. Everything that moves, everything that lives. <laughs> and they brought in Randy Gregory on the defensive line, who was very, very good with Dallas before they brought him in. I mean, it was all three of these teams spent an entire offseason pushing all their chips in, and the Chiefs just called it. And they won. They had the better hand, and all these teams just completely lost it and now have to go back to the drawing board. Um, it was unbelievable. In a nutshell, all of those teams made moves for short-term gain and long-term pain, and the Chiefs did the exact opposite of that, but uh, then ended up being way better than all those teams anyway. And getting the short-term gain also. So, you know. Let's get the short-term gain without the long-term pain. That's what the Chiefs did, and everybody the Chiefs else are getting short-term gain else. and long-term gain, and the other teams are yeah. getting short-term pain and long-term pain. pain. And long-term pain, exactly right. If you've looked at the cap situations for these teams; they're bad. The Chargers still haven't paid Herbert, and their cap situation is kind of fucked. They might have to release Keenan Allen. They, if they don't release guys, they literally have to restructure half the team. It's it's a preposterous situation. It just well, and the Chargers, the Bears. Uh, coaches are now different. Obviously, the coaches in Denver are different. I mean, all these teams just went and and there's no more quarterback in Vegas. So, like, they all, after pushing all their chips in, are like, well, shit, we got to go back to the drawing board and completely sure. redo everything we've completely done. Completely redo it. And uh, that's because they weren't good enough to hang. They weren't good enough to hang. Jody Fort season from our Discord. After Kaka! Super Bowl live. Kaka! The motto was run it back. They did what they could to keep the roster intact and ended up losing Super Bowl 55. Do they learn from this and look to improve the roster instead of maintaining? I think, I mean, that was a unique situation because of COVID, right? I think the, the, that off season being so odd was a big factor. I think in them trying to bring back as many of those guys as they could. And frankly, the, because we knew the cap was going down, you know, the free ancient market that year was 
was totally depressed too. And a lot of the guys, yes. you know, the chiefs guys that wanted, you know, bigger money deals, maybe a free agency ended up not being able to get that. I mean, I think they have the luxury here of running it back, but also, you know, trying to make, I mean, they are in such good shape, both in terms of the cap once they make, you know, two or three moves and in terms of the players they already have on the roster, because they completely knocked this last draft out of the park that, and they have a bunch more draft picks coming they up. They're going to do it draft, again. They have 12 draft picks again. I mean, they just, they have so much flexibility here. I, 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 yeah. I think they there's a chance that we could be major players in free agency, although this free agent class is not yeah. that good. I, th- I think yeah. it behooves the Chiefs to, you know, extend Chris Jones, you know, uh, and go out, maybe potentially use some of those draft picks to trade for a guy. I don't know who it would necessarily be. Hopefully Chris Godwin. Not, hopefully not DeAndre Hopkins. Sure. A, a younger guy. Like maybe, like, maybe a younger guy like Godwin. Sure. That's that's maybe you're sure going to have a better chance of him you know being effective in a long-term solution you know maybe potentially position at a position of need so yeah i think i think they certainly will i mean they they don't have a lot of guys that they need to bring back but i think they're in a position to do pretty much whatever the hell they want uh i will say one thing about kenny's question here which is that i don't really think it didn't work running it back sure. i mean they got back to the super bowl they you know they were a decimated offensive line that wasn't really they couldn't have planned they couldn't have you know, once fish and, and those guys went down, yeah, it's not like, no it's not like you could have a ready. Depth. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So um, I think their approach last time worked. I think they knew that keeping the consistency and the guys that knew the playbook when there were going to be virtual off seasons, and there was going to be a lot of turmoil and, and hard things to kind of get through for the NFL. They knew that keeping all those consistent was the best way to go. And it got them right back to the Super Bowl. So I do think that, the approach was fine in 20. And I also think that they have learned as many lessons as any front office, as far as like what they're prepared to do this off season, they've got it all figured out. I really think that no fan base should feel more comfortable about the guys pulling the the levers in the front office than the chiefs fans and Brett beach. I just think that he's earned the right for, for everyone to not question him. And, you know, if they want to bring back someone this year, then there was a good reason. And if they want to let him walk, there was a good reason. And I'm I'm fully on board with whatever it is that Veach and company decide. Our next one's from Please Fix This. Kaka! Uh, he said, I've never watched highlights from the Tampa Super Bowl or even the mic'd up content that I typically love. I've heard you say that you have a similar stance. We definitely do. That, that game sucked. Uh, I'm feeling slightly more inclined to watch it now that I know that they get back to the mountaintop. We're not looking at Aaron Rodgers' one-ring situation. Although those years will always be disappointing, do you similarly feel like this ring will make the previous two years less painful? Yes, I think to the short answer to your question here is once you get that ring, I mean, honestly, the first ring made me feel so much better about all those devastating Chiefs playoff losses yeah, that were in my life before it. Because, right. I mean, you get it done and it's just like, well, I, I can't really be that devastated about those anymore because it's so hard to win a Super Bowl in the NFL. It's so hard. And, yes, I think that now with the perspective that the Chiefs have two rings in the last four years, I think watching even the Bengals loss, which I, which was devastating and I hated, and it was terrible. Like even that now doesn't really phase me anymore. It doesn't do anything. If you mention that the chiefs lost to the Bengals in the 2021 AFC championship game, I'm like, yeah, well beat them next year, won the super bowl. Suck it. Who cares? So, 
um, yeah, not painful for me. I agree that it makes it less painful, but I am not running out to rewatch the AFC Championship game against the Bengals last year. I mean, it's fine. Yeah. I it, I agree that it it like if somebody wants to bring it up, I I mean, I, it's not going to bother me because again, like scoreboard, we just turn around and beat them the next year, and we actually got the job done when we got to the Super Bowl. We did because uh, Patrick Mahomes is a winner, and he has a winning record in the Super Bowl, unlike Joe Burrow, who has never won and probably never will. But I'm not I'm not rushing out to rewatch the content from those games. That's fair. Uh, there may be a time that I, that I would do it, but I, at the same time, I mean, it's like, I, I don't really see the point in it because I have so much content that is good and brings mm-hmm. me joy. And mm-hmm. I just, I, life is too short to, you know, uh, do things that even though they don't make me as angry or as sad as they used to, it's not going to make me feel good. Uh, you know what content is good from that Super Bowl is the content that was forced upon me on Patrick Mahomes NFL Top 100 video where they sure. showed all the Tampa yeah. Bay all the- defenders just marveling and even uh, you know Godwin Evans. I mean everybody really on Tampa marveling at how unbelievable Mahomes was during that game. I love that, but that was curated to be just the content that talks about how good Mahomes is. And if sure. you could kind of pull out anything where anything bad happened and just show me cool plays and like some of that stuff. I I'd be into it, but um, I don't want to just sit down and rewatch that game. I have no interest in that. We've got two from our guy, Jordan screen, Mr. J one, one, two, eight. If you can draft the next Trent Williams. So like generational, amazing left tackle, lock him into a multi-year Mahomes esque deal. So like you got young Trent Williams for the next 10 years. How much draft capital are you willing to spend? Uh, I mean, I literally entire trade, draft class. Yeah, I, I was going to say that. I, I was going to say the Ricky Williams. I literally I trade all twelve of the Chiefs picks this year, and you're <laughs> you're you're in a position where you have the luxury to be able to do something like that if yes. this hypothetical player existed because you've drafted so well the last couple of years. Yes, because you know, the, the cupboards are so full with these other wonderful cheap players that you you could go out and make a move like that. I you mean, know who the Chiefs don't need right now? They don't need rookies. Right. They, they exactly. don't need no, they a don't. big I mean, infusion of young talent. They already I mean, have it. What, it wouldn't hurt. It doesn't. It won't hurt. And they'll it get it. They'll get it. Doesn't, it but it like, doesn't hurt. But, but it's not a team need to the sure, point where... I, and, and, yeah. Aside from Ricky Williams, I mean, I I I trade probably three or four first round picks in a row. I mean, like if you're trading the last couple of trip picks in the draft, like to get a cost controlled elite player at left tackle for like, oh yeah, that's gonna be pick thirty two because you're winning rings. <laughs> yeah, sure, exactly. You're gonna win rings every year. You have young Trent Williams on the left side. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I I don't think you can trade more than three first round picks. Like, I don't think you can trade picks more than three years out. So. Sure, I, I definitely would trade three first-round picks for that easily. Yeah. Uh, second question for Jordan. You have the chance to put five names on the Ring of Honor next season. Who are you putting up there and why? Now, he does not specify that we have to follow the normal rules for the Ring of Honor, which means oh. it seems <laughs> we probably could put in active players. Did, did, was, your, was your list based on the actual rules? Uh, I hadn't really thought about active players, but uh, I do think – that that maybe changes something for me. Well, it just just give me the players that you have because I I game the system here a little bit. So together we can put together uh, a composite list that maybe uh, gets to the 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 heart, the spirit of Jordan's question. Since um, I obviously didn't play by the rules and you sort of impliedly <laughs> followed along, like that's okay. That's okay. There are just some names that I was thinking about that 
you know, would make a lot of sense. Um, I think you have to start with Jamal Charles. Of course. I think that's that's the guy that when you look back to the pre-Mahomes era Chiefs that are not currently in the ring of honor, um, you know, it, it really didn't get much more dominant or exciting than Jamal Charles. So he would go in there. Um, I would like to put Dick Vermeil up there. Hmm. I think okay. that his time in Kansas City was really um, just really valuable and really fun and competitive and i think that he represented a lot of what i when i was you know i was 16 in 03 when the chiefs started off 9-0 and and vermeil was in kind of the the heyday with the chiefs and like he just exuded like a really he cared but yet he knew what his shit he knew what he was doing like just a really model coach so love dick vermeil he would have been second um third i probably would that's when it starts to i felt like Derek Maybe Johnson? Uh, Derek Johnson's already in the the Ring of Honor. No, no he's not. I, I saw Derek Thomas on the list and thought I read Derek Johnson. Right. was like, well, that's I, good I of them to have already included him. I didn't but... think he was in there yet. Yep. Okay, so well, DJ, that's a no-brainer. DJ's sure. a slam dunk no-brainer, obviously. And then, I mean, you, you look at those linebackers that played with DJ, with Tom sure. and yeah. Justin Houston. Sure. And, like, they had long careers with the Chiefs. They accomplished a lot. They sacked the quarterback – crap load of times and there really wasn't anyone else in that era that probably is is worthy so i've just finished it out with linebackers i just go dj tamba and um houston uh that's a good list and i think probably more along the lines of what jordan was asking for you know <laughs> players that are not currently active but i wanted to take this opportunity to share my opinions about the question that we approach to Randy last week, which, you know, we asked a, a sort of a similar question of Randy about, you know, current Chiefs players and where they're going to end up, whether it be, you know, just retiring on a one day contract, uh, entering the ring of honor or, you know, potentially uh, seeing themselves inducted into Canton as the NFL Hall of Famers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there are so many guys on the current roster that are obvious choices that would go in today if they never played never down, another down for the Chiefs. Obviously, Travis Kelsey. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, Andy Reid as coach. Obviously, Chris Jones. And then you start getting into guys that I think are interesting. Like, I think Harrison Bucker probably. I mean, he's close. Yeah, yeah. He's he's close. And certainly if I mean, if he if he got cut tomorrow and never kicked for the Chiefs again, then probably not. But I mean, the guy, he hit back to back game winners in an AFC championship game in a Super Bowl. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. he literally has two of the three game-winning kicks in Chiefs playoff history, yeah. and they were the last two games of the year, <laughs> two biggest games of the year. I mean, that's incredible. Uh, you know, Frank Clark, I think, is a really interesting case. Ooh, right? he like, is. Is he going to stick around? And that's something that we haven't talked about yet. Um, we'll see. We should have clarity. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to hypothesize about uh, his situation because we'll probably have clarity on that here in the next couple of weeks, I would imagine, before free agency starts. But you know, Frank Clark, obviously part of both of the Super Bowl winning teams, and you know, big sack totals in the playoffs as a member of the Chiefs, uh, big and a big cultural contributor. Yeah, to the exactly team. right, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, then then you get into the guys that are are probable knows. You know, like a guy like Tyron, who you know, if you would ask me after 2019. When he had played one season with the Chiefs, but you know, obviously, he had a huge impact on that 2019 team and had a ring. It kind of went downhill from there, so you know, he's he's probably a no. But I just think there's a lot of guys that have. Oh, the, how about Tyreek? 
Yeah, Tyreek's in. I think yeah. Tyreek's in. I, I agree. Think, we just hadn't I, set him yet, but yeah, I agree. We hadn't set him yet, and because I, I don't think about Tyreek. What about Alex? Uh, Alex is actually borderline, right? I mean, it's actually a really interesting one. He, I, he contributed a lot to the did. beginning of the Andy Reid tenure and to stabilizing a franchise that was unstable and won a lot of games. I mean, not as not as many as as Patrick, certainly. But uh, I mean, I think Alex's contributions also should include mentoring Patrick Mahomes. Well, and that's that's the question for me is how much credit you want to give Alex for that, because it's it's tough. It kind of cuts both ways, because if. If Patrick Mahomes didn't exist, Alex Smith, number one, probably would have played a few more seasons here and yeah. you know, certainly yeah, got a chance have. to add to his his totals. But boy, before Patrick Mahomes, between Patrick Mahomes and Len Dawson, Alex Smith was like probably the se- second best quarterback behind Montana. Yeah, I'd probably put Trent Green above him, but it'd be sure. very close. It'd very, be close. Very close. And yeah. Trent Trent is in there, right? Is Trent in the uh, ring of yeah. honor? Yeah, he is. So I mean, yeah, I think think uh, I think precedent would say that um, that he's probably in, but um, I don't know. That's that's a really good question. We Sorry, Trent isn't. I oh. thought I saw him on the list. I saw Tony Richardson, and Tony Gonzalez, and thought I read Gary there, Gary but... Green is in Gary quarterback, Green. but yeah, not Gary Trent Green. Green. Yeah. So right. You look up and you see Green, and you're like, yeah. oh yeah, of course that's that's Trent. But no, it's Gary. It's Gary. Um, um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. it's... It's an interesting case. I'll be really curious to see where Alex ends up there. We've got one final question from our from our Discord mailbag from Casey Sordorican. Denver's entire coaching staff is going to be guys who don't believe in the actual team but are just there for the paycheck. What could go wrong? Boy, how long do we have? Not very. We're like into the second hour of this podcast. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All I want to say about the Broncos is that everything that can go wrong will go wrong. That's my prediction. Let's ask ourselves anything. I got a question here for us, from me to the two of us. Who wins 2019 Super Bowl Chiefs or 2022 Super Bowl Chiefs? And I'm going to leave it. I'm going to start it off open. I've got a couple of qualifiers that I want to tag on here. But just your gut gut response to this. Well, my gut response is that the 2022 Chiefs, uh, for a couple of reasons, would win that game. Number one, Patrick Mahomes has leveled up since 2019. And despite the high ankle sprain, which I guess we would, we're talking about like the Super Bowl version of both these teams. Yeah. We're just saying like the team that played played in the Super Bowl, right. Which would be Mahomes with the high ankle sprain. I still think he's a better quarterback in 2022 with a high ankle sprain than he was in 2019 fully healthy um and it's he close was, he was he good in 19 fully healthy right? in 2019 either. uh so. yes yes that's that's also true yeah but he so, seemed he seemed more healthy based on how he was moving around yeah, yeah he certainly was more limited in 22 um so you know the team goes as mahomes goes you compare stuff like the lines where um the 22 line was obviously fantastic i mean they they stood up against one of the best defensive lines of all time and the line was good all year but the 19 line had better tackles. Eric Fisher and Mitch Schwartz were unbelievable. Very, very good. But then the interior there is Wisniewski, Ryder, and LDT. So, like, you know, the 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 22 line is clearly more stout from guard to guard, and then the 19 line was more stout along the tackles. But both teams are dealing with Chris Jones up the middle, and Chris Jones is obviously going to eat the 19 interior line for breakfast. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a a really good point. That's a matchup nightmare for the 19 interior line. And there's really, 
you know, Frank Clark on the edge, but like there really isn't a, a super no, big really um, edge threat. So I give the edge there to 22. I think uh, Tyreek Hill would cause a lot of problems for 22 as, as he did for everyone and, and continues to do for everyone. But, you know, the cornerbacks proved that they could shut down a great receiving core in the Bengals and a great receiving core in the Eagles. Like they were up to the task. Now, AJ Brown got behind them and, and Devonte Smith one time also got behind them, but in general, I mean, the, those teams could have eaten and they did not. So I do think that Tyreek would get his, I think he would um, come up with some big catches as he, as he was known to do, but I don't think he would go off for like 250 yards or whatever, you know, Sammy and D Rob on, on 19 Hardman played a bit in the Super Bowl that year. Um, meh. They're, younger, they, they, younger Spryer, Travis Kelsey. You younger Spryer, Travis Kelsey, but no mileage on the tires. But no, Noah Gray or Jody Fortson. I mean, the the backup uh, sure. tight end I situation. Mean, those guys are important. Was uh, Dion Yelder and Blake Bell in nineteen? So um, certainly depth on the tight end would go to twenty two. Um, you know, they both had Butker. Um, I, yeah, I think I think twenty two's got more talent around the board than nineteen did. So I'm going to, on the surface, without any qualifiers, I'm going to go with 22. I I agree with you, which I think is kind of crazy because I think we had this mindset in 2019 that the team was really talented. Like they one were. Of the best, one they of the were. best Chiefs teams ever. And, you know, coming into this year, it was kind of like, oh, the Chiefs are going to take a little bit of a step back. And, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, uh, here we are, Super Bowl champions again. And, <laughs> And not only that, but like, I mean, look at the teams that the, not to diminish the accomplishment of the 2019 Super Bowl champions, but oh, the teams that they, the teams beat, they beat. I mean, like, I, the Niners were Texans good. Texans and Titans as opposed to the, the Jags fact, and. The fact that the 22 Chiefs beat Joe Burrow and Jalen Hurts, both of whom played well back to back games in the playoffs, is, I mean. And Trevor Lawrence, they beat two Lawrence, one overall picks. Good. Yeah, a good player. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is better than any quarterback yes, played certainly. in the 2019 playoffs. And again, not John to the in accomplishment, but, not, but yeah, well, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Maybe it, I mean, Sean, Sean was, was pretty good back he was, then. He but was certainly good. better than Tannehill and Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I think so. We're both leaning 2022 Chiefs. Now, I think we can agree then that if 2022 Pat doesn't have the high ankle sprain. Like if we're assuming health, like it's, it's the 2022 team. And I don't think it's, it's even that close, right. Like, I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, probably- that's because I think Pat without the high ankle sprain would have steamrolled just about any team in NFL I mean, history. Yeah. Right. Sure, of course. Like that was the vibe. We saw it for one drive was, against the Jets. Yes, I mean, it yes. was outrageous. So like, I don't care if it's the 85 bears. Like if you give Pat a, a solid ankle in the playoffs with this offensive line, and his now five years of experience in the NFL, like good night, it's it's over. So yeah, I do agree that if you heal Patrick Mahomes on both ends, if you heal the 19 version and the 22 version, I think 22 probably runs away with it. Now, one final twist here that I want to throw at you: What if we gave? Now we both agree that you know mentally, 2022 Patrick Mahomes represented a significant level up from 2019 Patrick Mahomes. What if we gave 2019 Patrick Mahomes 2022 Pat's brain? So he's got, he's essentially leveled up. We've given them the same number of level ups. 
mentally. So, so what if both teams were quarterbacked by 2022? Both, both teams are quarterbacked by 2022 Patrick Mahomes, although I guess technically 2019s is maybe a little bit healthier. I, you're going with recovering from the, okay. the knee injury versus the high ankle sprain. Sure. I mean, I think then it becomes kind of an interesting conversation, right? Like, I think, I think it's really – it's pointless, but I think it's an interesting exercise to sort of think about what 2022 Patrick would be like reunited with Tyreek Hill. Yeah. I think he learned so much this year about how to take what the defense gives him by necessity because Ty, he didn't have, he couldn't just force feed it to Tyreek, but man, I think if, if like Tyreek walked back in the door (laughs) For 2022, Patrick, I think it would be insane. I think it would be outrageous. And I think, I mean, I think Andy Reid, too. I mean, the whole coaching staff, just the way that they had to build the offense without Tyreek there, I think they learned a lot of lessons that were they to yeah, suddenly find themselves in possession of Tyreek Hill again. <laughs> I think they could do something with that. I don't know. I think that that makes it a pretty interesting conversation. Do you think the 2022 roster with a free Tyreek Hill would have gone undefeated? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, they only know. lost three games without him by 10 points, like 10 yeah. points total for the entire year. You know, uh, I, I mean, I think he's a difference maker. It's an interesting question because, like, you can make the argument that teams played them differently when they, they had did. Tyreek, they did. which they did. I mean, that's that's inarguable. But then, yeah. I guess the part where it becomes controversial and becomes really an argument is like, could the chiefs have played the way that they played with Tyreek, you know, or without Tyreek with Tyreek, like it, could they have just played the same way that they played all year, but better because they have well, Tyreek. And you I know. think we saw that at the end of 21, I think once the team kind of figured out all these two high stuff, that teams were doing, sure. they, they knew with Tyreek how to play against that. And I agree. And they got rid of him for the contract stuff, but I don't think they got rid of him to become a better football team. They I didn't think intervene that just... on him for his level play. <laughs> no, no, they did. So I think it would also be interesting to talk about just Tyreek walking back through the door and joining the 2022 squad. Um, there's lots of things we can twist about the matchup and, and just make them interesting. But at the end of the day, both the teams were stacked. Both of them were unbelievable. And both of them proved without a shadow of a doubt that it's always sunny in Chiefs Kingdom. Thank you.